So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Welcome to episode 91 of History for Weirdos. Welcome back, weirdos. And happy Pride Month, everyone. Happy Pride Month to everybody. We are each going to be doing a Pride-related episode, and this week, it's your week, Andrew. It is my week, and I actually really like my Pride episode. Please tell us, what are you doing your episode on this week? Well, there is a woman from ancient history who was one of the most fascinating figures just throughout like the classical period. Mm. Actually, technically saying classical isn't, in a very technical sense, isn't correct. It's, she's slightly before. She's before the classical period? Technically, yes. It's sometimes, it's a, she's in this weird kind of 200 year period where it's like sometimes lumped into the classical period. Sometimes it immediately precedes it, depending on who you ask. This is extra nerdy. This is so nerdy. (laughs) (laughs) So her name is literally synonymous with poetry and passion. I definitely know who this is going to be on then. Yes. This person has created a persona of mystery Mm. that has intrigued scholars, artists, and poets alike for over two millennia at this point. So they were really into branding way back when. (laughs) She was really into branding. Her personal brand was Chef's Kiss. So her name actually was even spoken with the utmost reverence in the halls of the Great Library of Alexandria. Ooh. She was a big deal. That is a flex. Yeah. I mean, which, you know, the library inspired the quills of innumerable scribes um, and the hearts of countless admirers. So, I mean, it's a big deal. It really, truly is. So, this woman's name, do you want to say it? Sappho. You got it. Yeah. It's Sappho. (laughs) So to truly appreciate the life and legacy of Sappho, we must first be transported to the time and place she lived. So this is the age of the lyric poets in ancient Greece. Oh my god. I want to be transported there so bad. <laughs> you wouldn't understand what they're saying though. Damn, that's true. I'd need like um, the TARDIS right. with me. To, exactly. To translate. That so was could... so nerdy of me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. This is a podcast called History for Weirdos after all. So yes. I think I think you're forgiven. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of Whovians listening. That's true. So this was a place like, and time that was honestly just steeped in culture, arts, music, and revolutionary ideas. Mm-hmm. Like this was kind of an exciting time to be Greek because Greece had just emerged from a quote unquote dark age okay. that had lasted for roughly four centuries. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So 400 years with starting with <gasps> the crisis of the third century. Nope. The, isn't the collapse of... <laughs> no! 
that was really the bad. Bronze Age collapse. There the Bronze Age collapse. The Bronze I'm sorry. Age collapse. Yeah. There were so many things that popped into my head at one time. <laughs> I, know. I like short circuited. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have like. Like three different things that you're always referencing. And th- that I just really nerd out about. Yes, and they all popped in. But this is after the Bronze Age collapse, 400 years. After of... the Bronze Age collapse yeah. is when this period started. And then we're st- like roughly 150 years past that. Yeah, so they're out of that, not the dark ages, but it's a dark period. It's a dark period. And, and what is coming out of this sounds like a lot of art. It's a, like a revival. Cool. It's really cool. Um, we're actually in a period time or a period of time called the archaic Greek age or just archaic Greece. Okay. And it's where we see the rise of the Greek polis, which is essentially like the city state. So yeah. Athens, Sparta, Thebes, Corinth, they're all city states. I remember learning about this in elementary school. Isn't that cool? I think fifth grade, maybe sixth grade. So like middle school for me. I roughly remember that too, actually. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, like, wow, this is so cool. And then when we got to Rome, it was like, there was Julius Caesar and Augustus, and that's about it. And I'm like... That's all I remember, too. There's, yeah. there's, a lot, there's a lot more to that. Did you know even at that age that there was a lot more? Yes. That wasn't being covered? Absolutely. Wow. And it was really upsetting, actually. You were meant for this podcast. It really was. So, okay, back to this, though. Um... The, and also, by the way, the Greek polis is really important because it really sets the foundation for the classical world. And that's what we essentially called, what we today refer to as like ancient Greece and Rome. Mm-hmm. It's really important. So on one hand, we see the Greek world make significant advances in this, in the archaic era. So we have the introduction of the written language, which had disappeared in the Greek world for over 400 years. That's nuts to think about. It's insane. And the language that came after after was completely different. Yeah. Completely different. So people from this time period, from Sappho's time period, would not have been able to read things from before the Bronze Age collapse? Correct. Yeah, the alphabet is completely different. In fact, they don't really have an alphabet. The Mycenaean Greeks, which yeah. are the ones immediately before, yeah. they had a script called Linear B, which was almost like a, a, a mixture of like an alphabet with like pictograms or okay. pictographs. Okay. Like cuneiform, I guess, technically. Okay. But this, at this point, they have like an actual alphabet and written language. Right. And... It's the gr- same Greek alphabet that they have today. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. So it comes from this time period. Um, the Greek world was filled with just stirring music and sublime poetry at this time. That sounds so nice. It is, yeah. <laughs> Homeric epics were being told, and the world was generally kind of just full of myth and magic, and the, and especially with the tales of gods and goddesses. Which we covered last week. Yes, we did. In our myth episode. Go check that out if you have not. Yes. After this one. After this one, definitely. So that was on one hand. The other hand, though, this was a time of political instability, Athens was still over a century away from, you know, quote unquote, creating democracy. Mm-hmm. And at best case, your city's like city state's government was either an oligarchy or you had a benevolent tyrant. Nice. So and yes, it's actually during this time that the Greek word tyrannos comes from, which gave way to the English equivalent of tyrant. I will say times of political instability tend to be the times of the best art. Hmm. Mm. I've heard that before, actually. Mm-hmm. And we do see some amazing art that come, comes out of this. 
So basically violent overthrow of governments was just part and parcel <laughs> of the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you got to keep that in mind. So there's both good and bad. So now that we understand a little bit about this time, let's move on to the island of Lesbos, which is where Sappho is from. Mm-hmm. So it's an island located in the northeastern Aegean Sea. It's actually really close to Turkey in the present day. Okay. And it was renowned in the ancient world for its lyric poetry, which is an art form characterized by the personal expression of emotion in verse set to like the strumming rhythms of a lyre. Like L-Y-R-E, which is just the an musical instrument, instrument right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, invented by the Greeks. The lyre is associated with Apollo? Yes, it right? is. He plays the lyre? Yeah, that's yeah. very impressive. <laughs> Why, well, thank you. I thank you. So it's likely that this cultural environment deeply was deeply influential in shaping Sappho as the legendary poet that we know her as today. Mm-hmm. And before we go into some of her accomplishments, let's look into a little about the, or I should say the very little that we know about her life. So we know that she was born circa 630 BC, but that isn't even known for certain. Wow. So that's how little we know. We know so little. Uh, The oldest surviving biography about her comes from the late second, early third century AD. Oh, snap. Which is roughly 800 years after her life. Wow, that's nuts. Right. That's the earliest surviving one. Exactly. And the one that references her the most Mm -hmm. is called the Suda, which is a Byzantine era um, biography, I think from the eighth century, I want to say. Okay. So, I mean, that's well over a thousand years. Yeah. Like, after her life. Yeah, so at that point... It's hard to tell, like, what is biographical, what's myth. Right. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, the things that we know about her life, we actually have just surmised from her poems, from her works of art. Oh. Yeah. That's kind of cool, though. Yeah. Kind of like a mystery. Yeah, exactly. Like, she would write about, like, this is, you know, what she experienced. And you're like, okay, well, I guess that's it. Then this must be the time period that she's living in. Yeah. Right. And up until the 19th century, and I'll get to that later on, most of the works that we knew about her uh-huh. came because other, like, either ancient or medieval people were writing, oh, this is what Sappho said. Mm. And so that's the only... And whatever they wrote down, that was like, okay, that's... We have to take their word for it. We like, have to assume that is what Sappho said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't prove otherwise. Because, yeah, we didn't have any other, like, written documents from her. Okay, that's really but interesting. But I'll get, to, I'll get to that at the end. Yeah. But it's really interesting stuff. So she was from the city of Mytilene, which exists today and is actually the capital of the island of Lesbos. Oh, okay. What's yeah. it called? Uh, Mytilene. Mytilene. And we think that she had three brothers, again, because she wrote about them. Um, and one of them she wrote about the most often, so I'm guessing her favorite one. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely her favorite brother. <laughs> I mean, this is how little we know about her life. Like, it is insane. So there is also one amusing anecdote about her life, and it's how she married a man, actually. Okay. So apparently she married a Kirkulis of Andros, which probably wasn't real and is most likely an anachronistic joke. Okay. And so I'll it's tell like an inside why. joke? Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Because this guy's name essentially translates to, and, I'm, and I apologize in advance, but... Language. Language. Um dick of man 
Okay, so yeah, they're joking. So it's like a very like like it's basically like a guy's name, you know, Richard being shortened for to Dick. Yeah, and Andros, which you know, like means manly. Manly, uh-huh. exactly. It's where my name Andrew comes from. Funny enough. Yeah. And so yeah, that's again, that's why they called it Dick of Man. Okay, so they're joking. They're joking about her husband. That does not sound like a real person. <laughs> no, this is basically most likely this was probably someone like Aristophanes in like classical Athens, like kind of doing a... like a teasing joke. Exactly. Uh huh. So, so she may or may not have been married. Yeah, and this joke to you listeners will make sense in a little bit if you're not already familiar with Sappho. But mm-hmm. you know, since this is a Pride episode, you can kind of probably connect the dots here <laughs> as to why that would be yeah. ironic. <laughs> Um, she was most likely born into an an aristocratic family, so she was able to have the time to be able to write and create her art. Yes. Isn't that funny that... That stayed true. That stays true even to this day, right? It doesn't mean that you have to be... Not as much. I'd say we've democratized... We. Like, the world, society has democratized poetry very recently. That's true. In very modern times, a lot of... Famous poetry does come from, like, quote-unquote, like, the working-class person. That's interesting. I was thinking more about art in general. Art in general. Yeah, to be... I guess to be a professional artist, you're right, right. in general, is a privilege, is an economic privilege. Right. For sure. But the poets that we think of today, a lot of, like, the Romantic-era poets, they were all just the sons and sometimes the daughters of aristocrats. <laughs> right. And they didn't have anything to do, so they wrote poetry. Man, sounds like kind of a great life, honestly. That sounds like the best life. <laughs> like, yeah, for you, especially as a writer. Yeah. For just... me, not as a non-writer, I'm kind of like... Or man. sometimes they became like historians. See, that would be... Yeah. There you go. Or they were really into music or science. Like they had... like the, You're supposed to have like a respectable hobby. Poetry, mm. at least again in the romantic period, was actually kind of seen as like a party boy hobby. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was kind of like the... The punk rock of, yeah. <laughs> of the 19th century. Yeah. Do you think poetry would have been like a party girl hobby for Sappho? It's really hard to say because I just, it, you know, we even like classical historians to this day have a trouble understanding archaic Greece because mm. there's just not as much detail as we have like just a few hundred years later in the classical era or especially in Hellenistic Greece, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. A lot more like sources and we understand their society a lot better. This time it's still kind of, it's a little bit of a wild, wild west of our understanding, but I can say that probably helped being rich and coming from an aristocratic means definitely helped. Yeah. But I can't, yeah, I don't know if it was like the, the I, punk rock of her era. I think poetry specifically gets associated or was associated with like partiers or something mm-hmm. because it's very um, hedonistic. It's seen as very hedonistic poetry or you have to really like revel in your senses. Interesting. It's very central in in the meaning of the word of like, you gotta really enjoy the taste of things, the feel of things, right? It's funny you say that because her poetry was meant to be listened to while there was like an instrument being played. That's true. You're right with the lyre. So yeah, yes, something indulgent. Yes, it would be incredibly indulgent. Yeah, and we know she was good. I'll get into that too. So I okay. mean, actually, we I have a little snippet that I'll read in a little bit. Oh yay! Because it is it is quite good. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. So, speaking of her art, the island of Lesbos was noted for its school of women poets. And I don't want you guys to think like a school as in like, you know, a school. It's more of like a school of thought. Okay. It just happened to be a lot of them, you know, were there. A lot of women poets. Yeah. Yeah. Like a cultural thing almost. Yeah. And I think they probably got together and stuff, I'm, I'm guessing. But like, it, it, I, the only reason I say this because it was a unique phenomenon in a very patriarchal society that for the most part restricted women's roles and voices. Like, you know, like after all, this is a broad stroke, but women in ancient Greece were considered property of men. Yes. You know, Sparta is a, funny enough, is actually an example of this not being the case, but that that is outside the norm. Yes. Uh, the norm is you're either the property of your husband or your or your father. And I've I've heard I think we've discussed this before, and I've read this like women in ancient Greece really did very little outside the home. That's correct. They yes. had very limited social lives. Their life was the home. Even like Roman women uh, had a lot more um, freedom and autonomy generally. Yeah. Like again, these are very broad strokes that I'm saying here, but yes. So interesting, very interesting that there was on this island just women doing one of the most like freeing things ever, which is just making art for the sake of making art. It's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So this school of thought um, attracted young women from all across Greece. So they, they came to learn and imbibe not only like poetry, but also music, dance, and you know, perhaps like the ways of, you know, love and passion that were very evident in past in Sappho's verses. Yep. In fact, you know, this is, this is where I wanted to read a little bit of her poetry. It's a snippet of her work from a poem titled A Hymn to Venus. Ooh. Yes. This is the goddess of love. The goddess of love. And also remember when we covered Enhead Duana? Yes. Her, her poems were also like a hymn to Enlil or... Mm-hmm. Or, you know, whatever the Sumerian god or goddess was. Yes, I remember that. So I thought that was really interesting. And, the, you know, we're separated here by like 1600 years, roughly speaking. So it's, wow. you know, it's a long time. 
So here we go. O Venus, beauty of the skies, to whom a thousand temples rise, gaily false and gentle smiles, full of love perplexing wiles. O goddess, from my heart remove the wasting cares and pains of love. If thou hast kindly heard a song in soft distress preferred, propitious to my tuneful vow, a gentle goddess, hear me now. Oh my god. Really good, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, clearly, you know, anglicized, right? Yes. I don't know ancient Greek, guys, so I couldn't can, can You say didn't it. translate this yourself? I did not. I'm shocked. Shocked. That's beautiful, though. It sounds like a song and a prayer. It does, right? Mm-hmm. And also, I really hate whoever uh, made this, <laughs> made this <laughs> translation because they use the word propitious. And it's like, I read that and I was like... Even I practiced saying that word beforehand, and I still messed it up. That's okay. I, know, I thought you did beautifully. Thank you. So for me, like Sappho's poetry just really provides, I think, a window into her soul, and maybe like even just some broad uh, personas of the time, right? You know, and it reveals, you know, specifically about her, like a woman with a deep appreciation of arts and culture. Definitely. And even just from that, that those verses alone, I, th- I got that. I could see that being a really popular poem because it's about heartache and right. asking Venus to take it away from you. Like who at some point in their life can't relate to that? Exactly. Very, it, very relatable. It is so, so relatable even to this day. Like tw- yes. what, 2,600 years later, roughly? Yes. It's and, amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. So... Here we get into, you know, why we know about Sappho yeah. and a little bit about, you know, like <laughs> debates that have been raging for millennia. But, you know, she had a special bond with her female students, right? She often expresses in her poems deep affection, admiration, and love. So, again, this has led to intense scholarly discussion over centuries now about Sappho's personal life, her sexuality, giving her a symbolic status symbol in the history of female homosexuality and even lending her name to the terms lesbian and sapphic. Like, they come from her. Right, because she was from Lesbos and her name was, yeah, Sappho. Yeah, and so, like, technically today, if you're from the island of Lesbos, you are a lesbian, right, even if you're a man. But, obviously, in, like, culture, like, that... Means a woman who loves a woman. Exactly. And that comes from Sappho because she's from the island of Lesbos. That's so nuts to think that your name and existence could have an impact on, like, sexuality. Yeah, like Like thousands of years in the future. And for people to still be debating over your personal life. Like, (laughs) that's that's another flex in and of itself. Like, wow. They're so obsessed with me. They're still trying to figure it out. Exactly. And I, I also have to give a little disclaimer too that like sexuality in the ancient world isn't as cut and dry as it is today. I feel like today, we're almost like going back to that. Yeah, It's I like, agree. you know, things are like more on a spectrum and, and, you know, things aren't black and white. And that certainly was the case in ancient Greece. There wasn't really a term for... There was sort of like a term for female homosexuality, but like male homosexuality was not really a thing. Right, because it was just seen as sexuality. Exactly. Yeah, that's really interesting. And even today, you know, I like to read romance novels sometimes. Mm-hmm. Good ones. I don't like cheesy ones. But even today... <laughs> I'm glad you told that to the weirdos. Yeah, don't worry, weirdos. I don't... Well, no. Sometimes I do like cheesy ones if it's like 
a Christmas romance. Yeah, you do like the Hallmark ones, babe. Oh, no, I mean books. Oh, yeah, the, the, the versions, books. yeah. Yeah, they will refer to uh, it as a sapphic romance novel if the two romantic leads are both female. Yeah. So that comes from Sappho. It comes from Sappho, yeah. Nuts. She, yeah, she's a pretty Im- impressive person. Yeah. Especially for someone who we know like, almost nothing about. That's another really good point. For someone that is so mysterious, she has left quite an impression on, like identity and poetry and art that's so cool yeah we like we think she might have had a child at one point we're not sure like we don't we don't even know her dad's name at all we think we might know her mother's name like it's like really we know very little that's also so interesting because how you were sharing that women were seen as either the property of their father or their husband for us to not be certain of either of those things for her right she really stands out on her own. She does. She absolutely does. Which is so rare for a woman of her time. And she stood out like throughout different eras. And we'll, again, we'll get to that in a little bit. But it's it's pretty impressive. So one of the things we do know about her life is this: like she did live in a time of great political upheaval, mm. and so we know that at some point around the year six hundred BC. Mm-hmm. She was caught in like this intricate dance of political alliances and rivalries and, 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 you know, power politics plays. And she was caught up in this, we think. We just have surmised this. And she was exiled to Sicily around this time. That's a pretty dope place to be exiled. Oh, right? It's like, okay, exiled me to Sicily. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and by the way, Sicily at this time had been, you know, colonized by... Everybody. Numerous Greeks. <laughs> well, no, this time it was just the Greeks. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Romans are still, you know, like, haven't, aren't really a thing yet. It's really just the Greeks at this point. Okay. So it, So she has to leave her home, though. She does. She has to leave her home and go to a different island. So, right. And, like, remember, like, Lesbos is, like, right off the coast of, like, of modern-day Turkey, right? Asia right. Minor. And so she has to go all the way across the Aegean. Yeah. Like... Far away. Far away to Italy. You know? Where she has, like you said... She has a community, like this school of poetry with the right. women and everything. That would be a big loss for her. It would. So despite this, though, you know, she did continue to write, pouring her experiences, hopes, fears, and passions into her verses. That's right, Sappho. Yeah, so she conti- she continued to do it, you know. I mean, her contribution uh, to literature in general is incredible. I mean, she pioneered this kind of unique meter known as like the sapphic stanza wow which is a lyrical verse i think consisting of four lines with three having 11 syllables and fourth five wow this one i had to really dig deep for Mm -hmm. so like you know the mechanics of poetry kind of honestly go a little over my head but that was the i think the most like that made sense straightforward way of saying it yeah (laughs) that made sense to me which is interesting because i never learned that when studying poetry and stuff we always learn about these different styles of doing stanzas and a lot of them do involve like syllables or rhyming but all of the different styles i can think of were credited to men yeah the only one i can think of that's on my head is iambic pentameter from shakespeare and i don't even know if he created it i'm pretty sure Ooh, i don't know actually and i don't but even know what it is he's I known just, for him he's yeah, known for it exactly but i don't know if he created it but basically, this meter that she created has been used and admired for millennia, you know. 
And it's really, you know, I think I think that's impressive, right? The actual, you know, like structural, you know, her comp- contribution to her art, right? Mm-hmm. It's important, but I, I think honestly, what really moves me more is her themes revolving mm-hmm. around love and passion, like longing and loss, the ephemeral beauty of youth, right? Mm-hmm. Sorrows of aging, and just the simple joys of life. Like those are just profound, like profoundly human emotions. That's something. All of us go through right love, loss, aging, know, aging, and being sad about it. Remembering how cool it is to be young and beautiful. <laughs> right, it is like it's just remarkable how relatable it is. Even today, when our world looks so different from hers, she would have a heart attack looking at today's <laughs> world, right? And we would be horrified of like, oh yeah, at their daily life. I think. Yeah, I'm sure that would. Not be fun for us I, either. <laughs> yeah, even as someone who just loves ancient Greece and ancient Rome, I would be horrified to actually live in that time. Yeah. Like, I would want to visit. I wouldn't want to live. Right. And visit with the TARDIS so you could understand everything. Exactly, yeah. And then fly away in your police box. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, though her words, you know, you can perceive an intensity of feeling and a depth of insight, um, they are just universally relatable and timeless. I have to just say that because it's so amazing. So... Her works were so esteemed that they were gathered in nine volumes and were prominently featured in the Great Library of Alexandria, right? So badass. And she was considered like the tenth muse by her contemporaries and you know the, those that followed in the classical and Hellenistic ages. Wow, that's a big compliment. That's a huge compliment, guys. So if you guys don't know, like there were nine muses in ancient Greek mythology that kind of just. I don't know how to describe it, but basically influenced all of art. Yeah, they're like these divine beings, beings right? That and they each relate to a different type of art or form of inspiration. Yes, exactly. And by calling Sappho the tenth muse, they were essentially placing her on this massive pedestal, like equating her to literal divine beings. Yeah, that's not something they did lightly back then. Right, right, because they believed in that stuff. It wasn't just exactly. like these are myths for fun. This is a cute thing to call you. No, like they are actually saying you're basically like a god. That's so cool. Yeah, exactly. It's like even even Alexander wasn't considered a god in his time. They called him, you know, Alexander Alexander Magnus, like the great. And that's where we. That's why we right, call right. him the great because mm-hmm. the ancient Greeks called him that. They didn't call him a god. Right. That's a really good point. Yeah. So, not everyone in the ancient world, though, was a fan of hers. I had to really kind of try to find a critic. There was, Ooh. of course, a Ro- it was Roman. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, Quintus Horatius Flaccus, or simply just known as Horace mm-hmm. um, in English. I've heard of Horace. Yeah. He's pretty famous himself. Um, he was an esteemed poet from, like, the age of Augustus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is centuries later, right? And... He basically just criticized her for being too masculine. Ew, Horace. Yeah. <laughs> what I a mean, lame criticism. And it's either because uh, he viewed poetry as a profession for men and only men. Right. Or because, you know, she was a female homosexual in his And he eyes. had a bias against that. Exactly. Right. So it's not coming from a good place. It's not no. coming from like a... I mean, I think he was being pretty reasonable. <laughs> Wow, Horace. Yeah, I was like, man, Horace, come on. I mean, Ovid, which is a contemporary of of, uh, of Horace, was yes. a huge fan. So there you go. Yeah, that's right, Ovid. <laughs> but her, yeah, her critics were far and few in number, from what I guess I can tell. But you know, much like the literature of her time, 
they did not entirely survive the ages, sadly. Her poems? Yes. I mean, today we only have like a fragmentary collection of her works, just a mere echo of what we or what was written. So that to put in percentages, I think it's roughly like six percent of her works are accounted for in the present day. Six percent? Six percent. That's a lot that's lost. That's nuts. Yeah. So we think she wrote like roughly probably 10,000 lines in her day. Oh my gosh. And we only have like 600 of them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That hurts my heart. Or like 650 maybe. Yeah, it's really, really low. So in fact, actually, if it weren't for a chance find in Fayum, Egypt, which is way south of Alexandria. Yeah, I haven't heard of that. Um, It's actually, there's, okay, okay, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent. There's been amazing art that's been found from the Roman era. Really? So much later, yeah, of like mummy portraits. And it's really interesting to see what, what did like Roman Egyptians look like? And they oh. kind of were all, they looked, it's like a, it's like the rainbow. That's really cool to think about. Yeah. Mummy portraits. Yeah, mummy portraits. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, Fayum is, is famous for those. Yeah, and specifically from the Roman era. Um, so yeah, if it wasn't for the, like a chance find in Fayum by these two British archaeologists, or Egyptologists, excuse me, Bernard Grenfell and Arthur Hunt in the late 19th century, almost none of her works would have been found. Wow. In fact, actually, the latest discovery of a poem of hers is less than 10 years old. Oh my gosh. It was in 2014. That's recent. Yeah. They're still finding her stuff. Exactly. And they found, it was just scraps of papyrus that had been like, just happened to be preserved and were essentially in a like, like a garbage ditch. Shut like up. an ancient equivalent of a garbage ditch. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's not wild. Also imagine just finding that and being like, me, if I, I'd be like, I wonder what this says. I don't know. <laughs> to them, it was just like extra scraps of paper. But for us, it's literally priceless. Right. That's incredible. I know. It's so cool. Um, I'm really hoping that we end up finding more. But nevertheless, you know, these fragments just continue to, you know, move and inspire us. Um Definitely. And I think she's an amazing model for a weirdo. Yeah, definitely. We don't know like how she died, but like a again, an anachronistic story much, much later, we think, probably like in the, the time of the Romans or like Hellenistic Greeks, we think that or uh, according to legend, right? Like she jumped off a cliff because she was sad that the the Ferryman to the underworld, Phion, or one of the ferrymen, mm-hmm. didn't love her back, which is obviously. I'm gonna myth. call BS. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think it's safe to say it's BS. I'm gonna say that's not how she died. I didn't even put it in my notes because, like, that was so dumb. Like, why would anyone think that? Yeah, but she's, you know, I've I've known even before being influenced by you and your love of ancient Greece. I've known of Sappho for so long. She's a big feminist icon she is yes. she's a big queer icon big literary icon she's you know regardless of who she was what she represents means a lot to a lot of people it's true so you know in conclusion sappho of lesbos you know she stands as this monumental figure in world literature and just honestly of like the history of human expression in my opinion definitely I mean, the world of ancient Greece where, you know, the muses sang, like Sappho, this 10th muse, danced to the rhythm of her own lyre. Yeah, that's right. I love that. <laughs> her voice was, you know, unique and bold and continues just to reverberate across the millennia. 
Um, I just think bears testimony to her remarkable life, her profound talent, and her enduring legacy. That's beautifully said. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think so. And that, my dear weirdos, is the legacy and the very little we know about her life. That's still so cool. Thank you so much for sharing. You taught me a lot about Sappho that I didn't know. Thank you. Again, I kind of more so knew about her as like the icon. Right. Or like almost like a mythical figure. I mean, she was like a mythical figure, even to the ancient Greeks. Yeah. That followed her in like the classical and especially the Hellenistic age. Right, right. That's so. It's just cool to learn a little bit more about her and the world that she lived in. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. And so sources for this week's episode come from the Poetry Foundation. Very good website. You can find basically like any poem on there. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I use them actually quite a bit. So was, they were really helpful. The Conversation, The New Yorker, and of course, my favorite, Wikipedia. Yay. Thank you so much, babe, for telling us about Sappho. I love that so much. And yeah. Thank you, weirdos, for listening to another episode with us. Before we say goodbye, we have a reminder. What is that reminder, babe? Well, this reminder is that we have a trip to Italy. No big deal. No big deal. And there are still spots available. So please, if you haven't done so already, book that trip. Yes. And you only need to put down 25%. And Mm -hmm. you have like, you don't have to pay any interest up until I think January, 90 days before we leave. Right. Just January, like mid-January at some point. So now is still a really good time to book essentially because you have plenty of time to make off payments. You don't have to pay it all at once. You could just reserve your spot. And then next spring, you could be hanging with us in Florence and Rome. I'm pretty stoked on this. Yeah, please, please book your spots. We are so excited to get to know the weirdos that join us there. Yes. Well, weirdos, until next time. Until next time, weirdos. Adios. Adios.